One Week Season. Hey there, OWS fam. Welcome back to the ending of another week of NFL DFS. I'm your host, BFritz12, and on this pod, we're going to hang out and recap week four. Talk a little bit about what went on in the NFL, how it relates to DFS play, what we missed, if anything, and how we can become better players moving into week five and beyond. I feel better than I did a week ago. My wife and I have been home now for over a week, which if you listened last week, you'll know that we just got home from a road trip. So all these things just lead me to feeling like I have my feet under me a little bit not only that, but I was able to really just be in football a little bit more this weekend. Uh, not only just creating lineups and playing DFS and focusing on DFS, but also just watching football. I'm a huge football fan, so I love watching the games and I get a lot from it visually. So being able to just hang out and do some of that felt really, really good. Uh, So yeah, let's kind of jump into this week and what we're going to recap. So if you joined me last week, you'll know that there were kind of three segments to this. The first in which I talked a little bit about uh, general strategy and kind of what I want to focus on for this particular week. I'll likely have something new for you each and every week here. Uh, The next piece talking about fluke or fail, basically looking at plays and games and trying to figure out where we missed and what we should have been on. And then finally, what did we learn this week? All right, starting with the high level strategy piece here and what I want to focus on this week. What really sticks out to me as important this week, if we look back at the box scores and see the game totals and even do something like scroll through DK Live, is we'll notice how important the games were and the players from those games were the ones that were performing or not performing based on the environment they were in. So with that, one of the biggest things we talk about at OWS is exactly this, the importance of identifying game environments rather than just plays. This is talked about ad nauseum across the site by every contributor, uh, whether it's specifically about that or it's just in talking about Uh, you know, just general theory or whatever for that week, this always, always comes up. And this is a good week to show just why that is so important. The importance of that being high fantasy scores 
come from high scoring football games. Sure, there are examples of this not being the case, but for the most part, and when we're trying to create a level of certainty, because otherwise there is not much certainty in the NFL, this is how we can do it. So I'm going to share my personal way of doing this. For me, the way that I go about doing this is I start my week by, well, first of all, reflecting like we're doing here Monday, Tuesday. But the for the next NFL week, the very first thing I do is take a first look at games. And what this is for me is going through game by game and just rattling off top level, like top of top of mind thoughts on the game. So I've done this both written and verbally. Uh, I talked about this a little bit last year, really started enjoying recording these. So doing like a voice recording and then actually going back over it and writing down the notes uh, or writing down some notes that stuck out to me upon listening to it. And even if I'm not doing this verbally, I'll write it down, just jot down some notes about each game, um, spend five minutes on every game, just getting down what I know. This is not only fun because uh, it starts to feel pretty good seeing how much you actually know about the NFL, but it's also great for building the muscle of thinking for yourself, which again is a theme here at OWS is just so, so important. And I'm going to talk about in a little bit here, a way that I thought for myself this week, uh, even in the face of an expert saying something differently. <laughs> and actually, so I've seen this in Discord too, guys being like, oh, I'm kicking myself for, for not pulling the trigger on this play or this game or this stack or whatever, because X, not, I didn't mean Sandemir, XYZ contributor said this, said that, whether it's at OWS, whether it's Adam Levitan, whether it's, you know, whoever in the industry and kicking themselves for listening to that because my gut feeling was this. And one of the things that JM and the others talk about here at OWS is the importance of differentiation through thinking for yourself. And that's really, really important and something that I uh, want to get to here in a minute. But bringing it back to my process and how I do this is talk through all these games, uh, write down my initial notes on them. And then what I'll do is I will actually write down a score. So I'll essentially just whatever, you know, based on what I wrote, I will write down a rough score because a, I'm in a confidence pool, and so I want to uh, pick the the team that I think has a chance of winning. I want to denote where I think there's going to be possible upsets, and finally, I want to get an idea of what I think the scoring will be. So this is before looking at Vegas lines or anything like that. I actually usually don't look at Vegas lines. I kind of just trust my knowledge on this. Now, 
you can definitely, if you're doing something like this yourself, um, you know, check yourself with Vegas lines or, you know, line movement is something that is actually pretty important when it comes to Vegas lines. So I think those things are still, um, you know, very sharp, but for myself, that's how I do this. So I end up with this score and I have a Google doc that I write all this stuff down in. And if the score is around 30, I will highlight it in green. And if the score is below 20, I will highlight it in red. And the idea here is that I can get a very quick heat map, so to speak, on teams that I think are going to score uh, basically four touchdowns or have a chance for more. And then teams who I you know doubt will even score three. This is a very easy way to start to focus on teams early in the week, right away in the week that I'm going to be targeting. Now, the other benefit of doing this is that you'll also notice where the quote unquote shootouts will start to arise. So another benefit of doing this. Identifying teams that have a chance to score four touchdowns or more is really how you are going to find strong DFS plays. So with that, let's take a look at the scores that were 30 plus this weekend. We have the Seahawks with the top score on the weekend. I'm mainly going to be talking about uh, main slate here. So not fully regarding Thursday and Sunday night games. Seahawks, 48 points. Lions, 45 points. Chargers, 34 points. Raiders, 32 points. The Eagles were just below this threshold here, the 30 points. They hit 29. And I know I said I wasn't going to mention uh, the Island games, but just for notes here, because I do want to kind of reference it, is that the Chiefs scored 41 and the Bucks scored 31. So we can see here that there were only a handful of teams that hit these higher numbers this weekend. Now, you also probably all know that this is where the high scoring guys came from. Before we move on to that, because we're actually going to be talking about uh, highest scoring guys in the fluke or fail segment. But before we move on to the, the next piece of what I want to talk about here is just notice those scores. Notice that the high scorers came from these games and these environments. And something that is crucial on, an, on a weekend like this, because it just really displayed this, is that games with good teams actually have a greater chance at barbell distribution. Now, this is a, a kind of like a, you know, a napkin observation by me. This is not I'm, a, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not a math guy. That's that's not what I'm doing here. Um, so I'm not going to give you some stat on how this is true. But we've seen this in the past handful of weeks uh, with Buffalo. So when Buffalo played Miami, one of the things we were talking about at OWS was how that game could potentially fail. 
this week. Buffalo, Baltimore failed. This isn't the only time that we've seen this. It is very possible that when two good teams clash, they can either go the way of the shootout, like Kansas City and Tampa Bay did in Sunday night last night, or like Buffalo and Baltimore, and just kind of overpower each other and play a lot of really good football, but don't actually really light up the stat sheet. So just something I want to mention there, because I think it's really important when identifying games and environments, especially when the field is focused on shootouts, knowing that especially when there are good defenses involved, there is a chance of failure there, even if you have two really great offenses. To wrap this up, what is a green light when it comes to game environments? The Detroit Lions, folks. They are the shining example this year of what we are looking for. And JM called this one going into the season. They are exactly what we want. An aggressive, capable offense who has a really bad defense on the other side of the ball. That's why this game environment with the Seahawks was potentially so juicy, and it ended up being exactly that, regardless of who the starters were on the field. Those are the types of teams that we want to be targeting. This is not news to anybody at OWS, so I don't think we're uncovering anything new here, but I do think that it's worth repeating. And for any of you that are hearing this only once or twice now, uh, looking for these spots is really, really crucial. Uh, just another note here that pace of play is also can be thrown into this mix here of things that we're looking at because uh, it really adds to the potential fantasy goodness. All right, shifting gears a little bit here, still in the high level strategy piece, uh, I wanted to make another note before moving on to our next section. This particular note that I've written down is that DFS is more art than science. Again, I don't think I'm introducing anything really groundbreaking here, but thinking about it this way really stuck with me this week. And I have a very personal example to share here. I was listening to the Slate podcast this week with Hilo and X, and I noticed that X made a comment that some of the lower priced quarterbacks, he just wasn't going to go there and noted that these guys just don't have the ceiling. So when it comes to winning attorney, these guys just they can't cut it, basically. And I remembered sitting there being like, oh, damn it, I've got Gino as my top quarterback this week now. I do play mostly small fields, so that's very important. I usually qualify that here for y'all as well, um, but this is important in this conversation. However, in general, I don't fully agree with that statement. And the reason I wouldn't bring this up is twofold. <laughs> One, well, first and foremost, this is not to throw X under the bus whatsoever here, um, but specifically because 
this this was a turning point for me this weekend. Uh, first and foremost, we don't all see the slate in the same way. We don't always see plays in the same way because we all have different styles. Now, does Gino have the type of ceiling that these high-end guys like Lamar, like Josh Allen, like Jalen Hurts do? Absolutely not. Not even close, right? Like he's lucky to be within 10 to 15 points of their ceiling. However, for me this weekend, I specifically wanted to approach this week with a double pay up at running back. And I'll talk about that in a second. But for me, because of that, it was very important to get a pay down quarterback. Also, given the week, I thought that the the Lions-Seahawks game was the best game on the slate. And because of that, I was really interested in not only Geno, but also Rashad Penny and playing the combo of them against this Lions team in this shootout environment. Again, small field here. This actually would have worked for large fields as well this weekend, uh, but I want to make a point that I specifically do this in small fields where it's more viable. But with these lower price quarterbacks, these lower ceiling quarterbacks, I am not looking to get 35 or 40 points out of them. If I can get 25 out of Geno and these other big guys fail, and they are all hitting between 30 and 35 points, therefore only 5 to 10 points ahead of my quarterback, who is nearly 3K cheaper, I am very happy with that. As long as I can make up that salary, excuse me, I can make up those points elsewhere. So, again, the reason that I mention this is that DFS is more art than science. Hard and fast rules almost never apply. It's very important to take everything into consideration and balance your play style with how the weekend sets up. So for me, like I said, we're looking at Gino as my quarterback. I loved playing him and Rashad Penny, who I thought was a great tournament play although he ended up being quite a bit more owned than ownership projections were calling for. Those two guys together only cost me a small, small chunk of my salary for potentially all or most of the touchdowns in a game that was supposed to be one of the best, if not the best, on the slate. So that was where I was starting my roster. And then, as I mentioned, I wanted to play two high priced running backs. Fitting those guys in was very important to my overall strategy and lineup construction this week. So there I wanted to play both Jonathan Taylor ooh, and Eckler. Ah, <laughs> These two guys combined for uh, 39 points, although Eckler got 95% of those. This is how I wanted to balance my roster, though. So therefore, that's how my 
strategy and building needed to look this week. So to rattle off the rest of my roster here, because it was good enough for a first place finish in a 118 person $3 tourney, which I will probably end up doing every pod this week, but that is reminding you guys to play the $100, uh, excuse me, 100 entry tourneys. So there's the hundos on the main slate, which are literally 100 entries, but there's on like every slate, I think, uh, when you're playing classic, 118 entries. And usually these are three max, um, but get in there and play these small fields. Even like this, it's small potatoes, right? This is not some big win, but playing, I talked about this last week because I had a, a first place finish two weeks ago in week two. Playing for first place and actually getting first place is really, really important. Uh, not only for the, the you know, the, the 10x on your entry fee, but for the experience to say that, hey, I've placed first place in a legit field of players. Like, I, I, I know that I can do this. Very important. So... The rest of my roster here is, so we got Geno Smith, Rashad Penny, Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor either way. You'll notice that's three running backs. So I did play one in the flex again, not necessarily something you want to do in tourneys in general, um, but especially not large field tourneys. But I like the way that it's set up this week because I thought that there was more ceiling at the running back position than the receiver position. Again, there are rarely hard and fast rules in NFL DFS. This is why I tend to bend them. All right, receivers, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Cooks, Josh Reynolds, and at tight end, TJ Hawkinson uh, with the Ravens on defense. Notice the Ravens play there, uh, just hoping for a little bit of leverage in that game where I thought that had the potential to fail or at least be messy enough because of the weather, uh, both good defenses there. So threw them in there. They were cheap, but notably Tyler Lockett wasn't worried about going with him as chalk just because of the rest of my build here, but between Gino and Penny and Lockett, I was locking up, no pun intended. Uh, hopefully, good amount of points in that game from that offense. But Brandon Cooks, also chalky, which, by the way, looking at the percentages on these guys, not that high. Um, but Brandon Cooks liked him in the, the Chargers environment here. It's a nice skinny stack between Eckler and Cooks. And I think Larejo actually called this one out on Twitter, which uh, was really cool to confirm something that I was already on. Uh, so big ups there, Larejo. Love the call. Uh, and then you will notice that what anchored my roster in here then, bringing back from Gino Lockett and Penny, was Josh Reynolds and TJ Hawkinson. Now, I actually played a couple rosters this weekend, and, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to kick ourselves, but uh, Josh Reynolds and TJ Hawkinson, just such a solid combo there, given what the Lions were working with and given the potential game environment for 
what did that end up being? 8,700 in salary between these two guys that would, you know, get anywhere from 15 to 20 targets. Really, really solid. Uh, like I said, I probably should have had this in more places than I did. The only reason I didn't is because I was starting to move away from TJ Hawkinson, who I just thought was while a good play. I'm like, this dude is, you know, just catching eight yard passes and he's going to have eight for 80 and no touchdown and just be the worst. Right. Like, and he, you know, he'll be the chalk. Um, but because of the rest of my roster, shouldn't have had to worry about that at all and should have been really, really confident pulling the trigger there. Uh, but anyways, this lineup ended up going for 207.4. Like I said, good for first in a 118 man. Really, really liked uh, the solidification of this roster because I used a mix of cheap plays and expensive plays guys that should have been sure things between Eckler and Jonathan Taylor. Not really. Taylor's been all over the place this year, but when you're paying up for somebody, you're expecting them to be the more certain guy. Um, But yeah, just really liked how this roster felt and had the results to go along with it. All right. A little long on the strategy segment there, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, With that said, though, let's move on from this, which, by the way, before I do, uh, just note that if you ever want to reach out about something, please feel free to do that in the OWS Discord at BFRITS12 in the Reflection channel uh, or just, uh, you know, hit me up in the personal messages. Always love talking this stuff with you guys. So hit me up to talk strategy. Where were you feeling the same? Where were you feeling differently? What went well for you? What didn't go well for you? All right, fluke or fail. Talking about this week's top scorers, where we look at where we went wrong or maybe the player just happened to get lucky. The idea here is to figure out in hindsight and build our identification of players and spots better week upon week. All right, top guys, and usually here I'm going to go through 30 plus point scores depending on the week, but that's where we're starting. Number one, TJ Hawkinson, 42.9 points. Holy shite. Uh, Wow, what a performance by TJ Hawkinson. And man, feels good to be able to rattle off a lineup with him on it after I played way too much of him over the past year or two. I think I probably played him like a handful of times last year because I was just like, he's going to hit, he's going to hit, he's going to hit and just never, never materialized. So felt good to have at least a little bit of him But something I want to make very clear here is that while this score may not have been fluky completely for all the reasons that we talked about on the site, he was a good play in a good game in an environment where the, you know, just don't have nearly as many passing pieces as normal. 
do want to point out that this is an absurd game for him. This is his absolute ceiling. And something that I talked about last week and that I think is just always, always, always going to be an edge in NFL DFS where things are so, so susceptible to variance and players are so susceptible to recency bias is be careful with this one going forward. I do think that there is a chance that he will be involved still if some of these pass catchers stay down and out of the lineup. But keep in mind who he's been until this point. I would not expect this. Uh, I I mean, I wouldn't expect him to ever hit 42.9 points ever again in his career. If you missed it, you missed it. Uh, Don't kill yourself over it. Is it possible that he'll have other good games this year? Absolutely. But I just want to caution here that I do think this is absolute ceiling on him. And I do think that even 30 plus point games from him are going to be far and few between. All right. Now, keeping in line with the same exact conversation, so I won't repeat myself a ton here, but Josh Jacobs with 37.5 points. Again, a career game from this guy. Uh, again, uh, they're talking about it on the slate this week. Hilo and X are talking about don't get the Josh Jacob things. Jacob's thing. I was right there with them. Don't understand it. Another guy that I've played way too much of because we keep talking about what a good role he has. He's got more pass catching chops now. We've been talking about this since the beginning of or, you know, midway through last season. I don't ever want to play Josh Jacobs. Why? The offensive line sucks. He's averaging a few yards a carry. He's not good at this point in his career anymore. He's not bad either, but he's just not a guy who's going to bust off for these types of games often. Look at his game logs. He might have some floor to him, but the ceiling is not there outside of this game. So I feel that this is a little bit more fluky. Uh, I'm totally fine missing out on this one. If you were on it, doesn't mean you were wrong. Uh, Good for you for identifying that and being on top of it. But this is one that uh, I'm going to at least put in the fluky category. Josh Jacobs, congrats on your career game. Don't expect to see you in the 30 club anytime soon. Jared Goff at 37.2. Yeah, I mean, this one talked about the games, game environments. That's where you have high scoring players. Jared Goff and Gino uh, in this spot. Low ceiling guys in general, but on this particular week, ceilings are higher. Again, both of these guys probably hit their absolute ceilings here. Gino Smith, a couple points below at 34.7. Just above him was Austin Eckler at 34.9. Man. I've been right on Eckler a handful of times in the past couple seasons, and it just feels good every single time I hit. Uh, But yes, going into this weekend, I thought the Chargers were a great team. Didn't even necessarily think that that was a good game environment. Uh, And some environments, you don't need it to be a good game environment. You just need one good team to lay the beat down on the other team and i thought the chargers had a chance to do that this week and they did Uh, i actually played a lineup that was herbert eckler mike williams gerald everett 
all those dudes hit. <laughs> uh, awesome stack. And the the rest of that lineup was garbage. Uh, I think I played Traylon Burks and yeah, it was just not great. So unfortunately a waste there, but uh, I w- <laughs> couldn't believe I hit on all those guys there. Austin Eckler, though, I thought that two to three touchdowns this week was legitimately in his range of outcomes against a bad Houston team and figuring that uh, he would probably be getting some usage in the dump off game where he hasn't really hit so far this year. Miles Sanders at 32.6. This one was a little bit painful for me because I've been all over Miles Sanders this year, whether I'm playing him or not. um, I just as a player and a role in this offense, I've been really bullish on him and had absolutely zero this weekend against the Jaguars uh, pass funnel defense. And I actually didn't like this game as much as others did. I thought it could be a little bit disappointing and a little bit more defensive. And so I was on zero Miles Sanders, but he has a legit role in this offense, which is arguably uh, one of the top offenses in the NFL this year. Not fluky in my eyes whatsoever. I think that is still the high end for him ceiling wise, but I think we see him up there or you know, around there quite a bit more than somebody like Josh Jacobs. Rounding us out, Rashad Penny, 31.7. Basically, the guys talked about this on the Slate Pod and on the site. Rashad Penny, one of those guys who just hadn't hit this year, and this was a good spot for him to do so against the bad run D. And then we essentially had a whole pack of guys around in the mid 20s. So big drop up, big drop off from those uh, handful of top guys where identifying game environments was critical this week. One observation I wanted to make after this week is that as a running back in the NFL, production is only as good as your offense slash offensive line. If you look at guys like Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon, who have some of the best workloads in the NFL, they are struggling from an explosive standpoint to be hitting holes. Uh, They are really struggling because they do not have a great situation on the offensive line. Jonathan Taylor was the beneficiary of that, the exact opposite last year in a great offensive line. So I think it's really, really important because you also have a guy like Khalil Herbert then who jumps in last week. And not that the Bears uh, have a great offensive offense or offensive line, but because that's what their offense is based around, the, the name on the back of the jersey doesn't matter quite as much as the um, the guys around him. So ironically, I just used Herbert. Now this is going to get confusing, uh, but Khalil Herbert was actually a good example of a play that could fail this week because he's on a bad offense. Also want to note that Josh Jacobs normally falls in this category as well. Not that the Raiders are a bad offense, although they have not been great this year so far. Uh, Very sad to see. 
but that the offensive line situation has not been good there in the recent past. Um, so when you're averaging 3.2 yards of carry or whatever, doesn't matter what your name is, doesn't matter how good you are in space. If you can't get into space, you're going to have a hard time. All right. Finally, wrapping things up, what did we learn this week? Well, I'm really just going to recap some of the things that I talked about today rather than introducing anything new here at the end. Like I just mentioned, uh, at least personally, I feel pretty strongly that going forward, I'm really going to be focusing on running backs that have solid offensive lines that are opening holes and are on good offenses, which some of you are probably like, uh, yes, B. Fritz, what are you thinking doing anything other than that? Uh, but no, just something that felt notable after I saw Mixon get uh, a, a million carries and catches, it felt like he, not that many, but uh, and not do anything with any of them, basically, because I was all about playing Mixon as my showdown captain on Thursday. Uh, but watching that game, it was just brutal to see just him not going anywhere. And then, oh, the other thing was... Game environments, right? Game environments, game environments. It's everything. Identifying them is a skill. It is something you can get better at over time. Uh, I mentioned my personal way of doing that and something that has been really helpful to me. Color coding either Vegas lines or the scores that you come up with on your own. Uh, green light, red light, where are you going? Where are you not going? Where are the offenses that can score four or more touchdowns? How can you build around them? And finally, because this is just one of my favorite, is DFS is more art than science. Really avoid sticking to any hard and fast rules. This is how you win in DFS is not uh, building yourself into any particular box and also knowing who you are as the artist. All right, y'all. Been fun here. Uh it is Monday night, so I am going to get out of here, wind down, watch a little bit of football here on the East Coast. This is always late for me. Uh, football season makes me tired, but it is so worth it. Thanks for hanging out. I hope you guys took something away here. Feel free to hit me up in Discord at bfritz12. Otherwise, I will see you guys on the site throughout the week and at the top of the leaderboards on the weekend.